Friends of Revival, welcome to this next episode of Rend the Heavens Lorcan Down podcast. Well, I can see that the previous interview I did with uh, Drew Lindsay um, has been um, a great blessing to many. In fact, it is the most listened to broad, uh, podcast so far since I started this podcast ministry um, back in October. And um, so I also want to thank Drew for that interview and um, the blessing it was. And also he's been a great help in sharing uh, the podcast with others uh, and uh, in such that uh, this podcast is now listened to, to in many, many countries as far away as New Zealand. Um, and also it's listened to in other countries like Canada and Brazil, um, Estonia, um, and Latvia, um, and many, many countries, about six, seven, eight countries. Uh, in fact, Denmark too, I believe. Um, so that's a great blessing um, as more and more people will hear the message of revival. Um, now, next Monday, um, I did announce um, near the end of the last podcast that um, I'd have an interview with a former policeman, but that's actually being cancelled for the moment um, for some time late in the future. But I will have an interview and a guest on the podcast, a man called Leighton Kelly. Um, and um, the podcast is going to be called... Um, breaking the chains of addiction, um, which is Leighton Kelly's life story. Who a former drug addict, and now he's a Christian running a drug a Christian drug addiction ministry under the umbrella of a a, a local church. Um, his story is absolutely amazing. I'm very familiar with the story. Um, as you'll see when you hear that podcast. So it's going to be not next Monday. Actually, it's going to be next Wednesday when that podcast will be uh put on air as it were. So do listen for that. I think you'll find that a great blessing. Well, today's podcast, as you can see from the title, is called Deal Moody, A Spirit-Filled Man. Now, originally I was going to talk about end-time stuff again, about the rapture and what's going on in the world, but I feel I am, this is more important because whether you believe in the pre-trib rapture, uh, uh, mid-trib rapture or post-trib rapture um, and all that, um, but you don't know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and you don't have revival, what will that profit you in one sense? Now, I do believe the preacher of rapture position is very important in motivating you to be ready for the Lord to come, uh, as was said in that interview with Drew. Um, but this is something that's on my mind about being spirit-filled. Um, and what does the Bible say about this? And so I'm going to go through some verses um, in uh, just a quick scan through the book of Acts. Um, and then we'll, I'm going to read a, a lengthy uh, portion from a book about Dale Moody and how he had a life transforming um, moment in his life uh, when he had personal Holy Spirit revival in his own life that changed his, his, um, his life and his ministry for the rest of his life. And I think you'll find it very informative because this is a big debate about what it means to be spirit filled and were only the apostles spirit filled and um, have that power of the Holy Spirit or is it for us as well? And I believe the answer is yes, it is for us. Uh, many people actually think they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but again, what does the Bible say about that? And again, if you want to give a definition of revival, like I said before, it, the best thing is to describe one. So I'm going to uh, read about Dale Moody's um, personal revival, and that will describe his revival. And of course, we don't all have to have his exact personal experience of revival. But like someone said, no, you don't have, have uh, someone's personal experience of revival, but what you want is reality, that you can have a, a, a spirit-filled revival in your own life as a Christian. So Luke chapter 24, verse 49, just what Jesus said um, before going back up to heaven, Behold, I send the promise of my Father, Father unto you, that's, about the, that's the promise of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So the promise of the Holy Spirit is a promise of power. 
And again, not just for the apostles, certainly was for them, but for everybody, okay? So being filled with the Holy Spirit is a life of spiritual power. And that's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24. Then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and the apostles were all asking about when your kingdom of God's going to come and all that kind of stuff. And here's what his answer was. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Um, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So once again, the key word there is not just the Holy Ghost coming uh, but power that's associated with the Holy Ghost coming. But you shall receive power when, when after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. The promise of the Holy Spirit coming um, in, the, in the church age is a promise of spiritual power. And that's the point. And then it says, you shall be witnesses unto me. What, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all over the world. And that word for, uh, that, the Greek word there for witnesses is the same word we get the word martyr from. Martyrus. You shall be martyrs from me. And... 11 of the 12 apostles were martyred and yet they also had spiritual power as we can see from Peter and Paul particularly in um, the book of Acts but history tells us you can see Fox's book of Martyr that the apostles certainly did have spiritual power all over the world and they did die for that. John they tried to kill him um, in a, put him in a pot of boiling oil but that didn't work God preserved his life and he died his tomb there is in Ephesus um, uh, modern day Turkey. So it's a promise of power, and that's my point here. And we need to get a biblical perspective, not man's opinion of what God says about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's a great story and a great promise. So let's go to Acts chapter 2 this time. And this is going to be the day of Pentecost, okay? Which means it's 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, 50 days after Easter, okay? The word penta means 50. And when the, when the day of Pentecost, it says in Acts chapter 2, was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I can prove his languages because the next few verses, right? Um, so they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And start to preach. And when a man is filled with the Holy Ghost, one of the fruits is he will preach the truth. He will preach the gospel. He won't just keep it to himself. Some people think they're filled with the Holy Spirit because they enjoyed reading their Bible. Now, that's a great thing. And like I do too. But then you've got to go out and face the real world. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Isn't it having an effect on you? Um, so these people were filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak with other tongues, with other languages. And it tells us then in verse 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So there were Jews there for the, for the, for the Pentecost feast from all over the world. Now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Okay, so tongue speaking is when you speak in a known language. Okay, it's not some... Um, angel language as some people try to say and some gobbledygook stuff that's going on today where even lost Roman Catholics can do the exact same so-called modern day charismatic tongue speaking but they're not speaking in other languages it's something that they don't even know what they're saying themselves you know and again Christians will say no 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 that's it's this unknown language you know and it's this uh, angels tongues and all that kind of stuff now it says here first mention principle that they spoke the, the apostles uh, were heard speaking the people who heard them speak and they understood in their own language and it's going to give a list of those languages. And it goes in verse 7. They're all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? 
And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we are born? So when he says tongue, what does he mean by that? But again, it means languages because then he gives a list of the languages. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, that's a big area, and Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, another big area. Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya and Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And again, the context is tongues means languages. Again, the first mentioned principle, first time tongues is mentioned in the church age, the day of Pentecost, it is language. I believe the apostles and the disciples spoke in their own language, which is probably Hebrew, and that the people heard in their own language from all these different countries. So can, how can he speak in several different languages at the same time? So this is supernatural here. The, the apostles and the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're speaking, I believe, in Hebrew, the gospel, the truth. And the people are listening from all over the world are hearing in their own individual languages from all over the world. It's a miracle. It's incredible. The tongue speaking today does not speak in other languages for the most part. Though I've heard some stories that it has happened. For example, I've heard of a story. I think it was an American missionary. He was trying to witness to some tribesman, I believe it was, or something like that, um, from, say, um, Africa or something like that. And the guy was hearing in his own language. Um, it might have been South America, actually, sorry. And I think the guy was here, and, um, and the guy was said, you know, you speak very good Spanish, he said to the missionary. And the, and the missionary said, I can't speak Spanish. I wasn't speaking Spanish. And the man said, well, I heard in Spanish uh, the gospel, and he understood it. That is tongue speaking. But that's biblical tongue speaking, okay? And I need to say that because there's a lot of misteaching about this. Um, and it seems like for the most part, the apostles were given this ability to speak in tongues. But I do believe that God, in his sovereignty and in his wisdom, like this missionary story just said, um, God sometimes gives someone ability to speak in other languages or at least to be heard in someone else's language. And so that's what he heard. Many languages there were heard. And it says, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? And others mock and said, these men are full of new wine. Wow. So these mockers accused the apostles and disciples of being drunk. Now, why would they why would they accuse them of being drunk? Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your, your character, your behavior changes. Not that you act like a drunken man, but when a man is drunk, he's under the influence of the power of the alcohol. We all know what that's like. Um, I know before I was a Christian, it affected me. And, I've, and we see to this day people drunk and walking in the street and it affects others. Some people become um, you know, like jokers and messers and stuff like that. And, um, and talkers. My, my, my wife's father, who recently died, when he was, full, when he was drunk, he, um, he would become very chatty, where normally he was very quiet. And other people, when they're drunk, they get very angry and aggressive, right? But uh, when someone is drunken, it, you know, we can tell it affects their behavior. And the apostles are being accused of being drunk with wine. So Peter now is going to answer that charge. And it says in verse 14, But Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken or listen to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye supposed, seeing is but the third hour of the day. The third hour of the day is nine o'clock in the morning. Okay, the Jewish day starts at six o'clock in the morning. So three hours later, this is nine a.m. in the morning. And Peter saying, "We're not drunken. This is only it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Come on, give us a chance, you know." But Peter doesn't stop there. And what does he say then? He says. 
but this is that which is spoken. What you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're accusing of, I'll tell you what this is. He said, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament when Joel was speaking to Israel at that time. And what did Joel say? It shall come to pass in the last days. Now, if you go to Joel chapter 2, Joel actually didn't say in the last days. He said, it shall come to pass afterwards. But Peter, under the inspiration and the direction and influence, remember, of the Holy Spirit, changed that to the last days. Folks, the last days began on the day of Pentecost. Okay, or Hebrews one tells us that um, that God had spoken to us um, in past times by the prophets, but had in these last days spoken to us through His Son. So the last days began at Jesus' time, and certainly on the day of Pentecost. We are in the last days, but we've been in the last days actually for nearly two thousand years. Now the question is, are we in the last hour of the last days? Yes, I do believe that. Okay, so. Here's what, remember that phrase, the last days, because um, it started on the day, of, this is, part of, uh, this is a way, uh, part of how Peter defends what's happening here. So he says, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. What will God do? I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Now that phrase there, I pour out of my spirit, okay, I will pour out my spirit, that is in the Greek, that is in the future continuous tense. That God is going to be, that means God saying, I'm going to continuously be pouring out my spirit in the last days. I have mentioned this before. It's called revivals. It's called a pouring out of his spirit. It's called about being endued with power from on high from Luke chapter 24 or receiving power from the Holy Ghost. Okay, but in the future continuous tense. Okay, it's not just a once off that the spirit of God's going to be poured out. And it also says, I'm going to be pouring out of my spirit, not pouring out my spirit. The spirit comes and dwells in believers. 1 Corinthians 6 tells that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's true. But we, most of us don't know that power is the problem. Well, the apostles did, and the early church did, and many countries through the centuries called revivals have known that. He says, well, pour, I will continually pour out my spirit upon all flesh in the last days, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. That word prophesy means to preach. Now, it says sons and daughters. That means that they will preach. And when you are sharing the gospel... You're preaching, right? Women are not meant to be pastors. That the Bible makes that clear. It's the husband of one wife, um, and they also mentions he. Men are women are not meant to usurp authority over the man. Not just in church, but in the world, men are meant to be leaders, providers, protectors, and um, that is definitely God's plan. Um, and um, so, some daughter shall prophesy. So, when as a woman, if you're sharing the gospel, you are preaching, okay. And in the last days, because the Spirit of God is upon them, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, again, do we know the apostles had dreams and visions, right? But again, this is in the last days, and I believe God has been given men and even women dreams and visions in these last days, right? But it comes from God. It's not something that you ask for. And in the stories of Muslims in very Muslim-restricted countries um, having dreams or visions of Jesus Christ. And then, um, and God, and, and, and as many times these visions only last for a couple of seconds. Um, and that seems to be most people's stories. And with these Muslims then, they would then hear the gospel. They didn't get saved because of the vision, but they got to hear the gospel, or they heard the gospel already, and then they saw a vision of Jesus. So sometimes they hear the vision, they see the vision of Jesus for and then you hear the gospel. Sometimes they've heard the gospel first and then you see a vision of Jesus and they get saved. Because it's in a very restricted country where you can't get the Bible, you know. So maybe they heard it from the radio or someone tried to share with them. I don't know. But there's many stories of that. Now God doesn't need to do that, of course, but if God wants to do it, he can because he's God. And don't 
put God in a box. Certainly don't take God out of scripture and be in context, but God said in the last days, I'm going to be pouring my spirit upon all flesh. And one of the results of that will be that men and women will prophesy, preach, and men, young men, old men will have dreams and visions. What is wrong with that if God says so? But God is the one who does it. Now, I don't think I've ever had a vision or dream. I'm sure many of my listeners maybe haven't either. I'm not going to pretend that I had. I'd love to have a vision from the Lord or a dream, but it's up to God. I'm not going to um, uh, chase hidden shadows as well. But these are the last days, okay, that God's going to do this and they finished off and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, the last days, and they shall prophesy, they shall preach. And we see that all through the book of Acts. You know, many times Bibles, your Bible, the Bible that you have would say the actually apostles. You know, I don't think that's a correct title. I don't think the apostles would agree with that either, being men of God, being in heaven too and, and, and humble. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is mentioned so many times in the chapters of the book of Acts. Okay? Because Jesus promised he would come and he would um, be with, you, with, with us um, 24 hours a day. He, he, Jesus said, I'll send you another comforter, which means another uh, person just like me. And the Holy Spirit is exactly that. In fact, sometimes the Bible calls him the Spirit of Christ. So that's what it says in Acts chapter 2, okay? And in fact, we're still in Acts 2, so Peter preached that long message. But the point is that Peter, they were accused of being drunken with wine. Peter says, we're not drunk with wine. Because, and the reason why they were accused of being drunk with wine because of their behaviour, when the Holy Spirit was upon them, and they, they were accused of being drunk with wine. So when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, no, you won't act like a drunken man, but you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, which, is a, which is, means you're under the influence of spiritual power. And it's going to change your behaviour. You hear many stories of people who have a revival, Holy Ghost experience with God, and they are dramatically changed. And people saying, what happened to him? What's happened to her? Do you used to be cranky? Do you used to be angry? Do you used to be fearful? Do you used to be trembling? Do you used to be unbelieving? They've changed, and they're like a firebrand. Uh, it's just incredible. And many times people say, I want what they have. And many times people will listen to them, and you see fruit in their lives as well. That's the Holy Spirit coming upon them, as promised in the last days. So every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, but not every Christian knows the power of the Holy Spirit. And these are examples. And when you do have the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the things you'll see is you'll be prophesying, you'll be preaching, and people are going to notice. And you're going to be accused of falsehood, of course. You know, maybe being drunk with wine as well. So moving down in Acts chapter 2. Um, and let me see here. Because so it's a long sermon, as I said. Um, I have a reference in Markley wrong here. I just want to make sure I get my verses right here. No, actually, no, I don't, I don't think I do. Sorry. Yes, verse 37 of chapter 2. Peter is coming to finish this sermon. And when he finished the sermon, here's what the, the reaction is. Now, when they heard this, the people were listening from all these different countries in, in their different languages. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. You know, convicted. And he said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? And he shall convince or convict of sin, righteousness and judgment. You can't do it. I can't do it. But when, the, when you've got the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, this is what you're going to see. People are going to be convicted of sin, righteousness and judgment. You're going to be convicted of it too. Whether you're saved or lost. Okay? You're going to be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgments. Sin, so you need to get saved. And as a Christian, you need to repent of whatever that may be. And I think there's a lot of sin we as Christians need to repent of today um, in a lot of ways, particularly the love of the world and the things of the world. But anyway, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so the Holy Spirit is convicted of these people. And, P and so Peter says, um, Then Peter said unto them, 
Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Not with the order. You get saved first, you get baptized and then you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When you get saved, that's when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can't receive the gift of the Holy Ghost until after you're saved. He comes and dwells inside you and your body becomes his temple. And he says, for the promise is unto you this promise of salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, that includes you and I because we are far off and of course include the people far away from them at the time. But even now, if you repent of your sin, you see Christ as your Saviour, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with many other words did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word, were baptized. And the same day, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wow. Look at the change in Peter. He used to be afraid of a young a handmaiden girl, denied the Lord three times, lied and swore very strongly about her. He's not like that anymore, is he? He's not afraid of anybody. And what does God do? He blesses him with the fruit of 3,000 souls. Well, I think that's amazing. Then we go into Acts chapter 3. Um, I think it is. Actually, no, not Acts chapter 3. Well, let me see here. Um, Peter preaches another message, right? And when did he preach this? How long was it? I used to think that was a few days later, but I think it was actually the same day. Because in Acts chapter 2, Peter, remember, he said, this is but the third hour of the day, which is 9 o'clock in the morning. Look, it says in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Acts. Now, Peter and John went up together in, uh, in, in, into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And, you know, looking at this, there seems to be no indication of any big time lapse here, except for, um, it says the ninth hour, which means... Um, six hours later after he preached the first sermon. So it looks to me, unless I'm a great mistake and from studying this for years, that Peter preached this next message <clears throat> six hours later. And Peter says in Acts chapter 3, Repent ye therefore, verse 19, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, when the time to refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Then chapter 4, And as he spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, Peter and John they came upon, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. How be it? Many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Wow. Folks, in two sermons in one day, cowardly Peter, Christ denying Peter, is a changed man because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. 8,000 souls saved in one day. That's what God can do to a man of God, a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit, a man who's looking for, who's thirsty for such things. You know, this is what he can do. This way he did in Peter's life. This is a miracle. But again, as remember Jesus, the promise was you shall receive power. You shall be endured power from on high. This is the difference. Peter was a man who loved the Lord. He said he would die for him. And he, and he really meant it. Um, but Peter had to come to the end of himself because Peter was basically doing it in his own strength, in his own flesh. Right? But he did love the Lord. He, you know, he was loyal to him. There's no doubt about that. But he had to learn, no, Peter, it's not in your own strength. It's going to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is absolutely amazing. And what's amazing, a few of the verses later, um, it says in verse 8, Then Peter filled the Holy Ghost again. All right? This is now the third time that Peter filled with the Holy Ghost said to them, you know, um, the same people have to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. It's not just a once-off thing. Yes, you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, but you don't, like, be filled with the Holy Spirit the rest of your life. Um, that's not automatic at all. But Peter had to be filled with the Holy Spirit once again, it says, okay? And then moving on in chapter 4, 
And uh, of course, the apostles were warned and threatened about not to preach, as we just saw, okay? And so Peter and the rest are, pr are praying together as a church. And, and here's what they said. And now, Lord, um, behold their threatenings, okay? The threatenings are real. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now, so let's stop there. What happens today when Christians like you and I are threatened by anybody? And it's not even maybe death even. We stay quiet. We go into a hole. We don't come out again. We're very careful. We water down the gospel. We use modern Bible versions. We get the rock music in, you know, because, you know, that's what they like. And they threaten us. We better stay quiet. You have a fear of man over the fear of God. That's what it is. But what do Peter and the men do when they're threatened? They cried out to God. Said these, you know, they're threatening us, Lord. And what do they say? Lord, give us boldness. You know, there's no honour, as I said before, especially as a man, when we're, we're cowering, when we're being silenced. We're being shameful. You know, ask God for boldness. Ask for the fill of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he asked for. He actually doesn't ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit here. He just asks for boldness that they may speak thy words. By stretching forth thy hand, he goes on to say, to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. It's interesting that the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he will do, he says he will do signs and lion wonders. Because <laughs> he's not an apostle, he's an imitator of Christ. But here they will, they want to do. They're talking about signs and wonders, which the apostles definitely seem to do, and he gave them that special power, didn't he? Right? But that's not the point. Now it says here when Peter was finished praying, verse thirty-one, and when they prayed, it wasn't just Peter. Sorry, it was the rest too. When they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled, to, where they were assembled together, and they're all filled with the Holy Ghost. There again. Peter's filled with the Holy Ghost and so is the rest. Once again, it's not just a once-off. And this is all through the book of Acts. I won't have time to go through it all. Just give an example here. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And it talks about in verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. And multitude got saved again. Because they're filled with the Holy Ghost. I like what Leonard Ravenhill said, the great man of God. It wasn't perfect. Who is? What did he say one time before he died in 1994? He said, A man, a man, <coughs> excuse me, a man only has to be filled with the Holy Ghost for one hour and can change the history of a nation. Now, you won't find that in the Bible, but the principle is there. And history has shown that to be true. Absolutely true. What God did with, for example, George Whitfield and John Wesley in the 1700s in England and America, particularly England, because Europe was going through a revolution. All many countries like Spain and France um, were, were, were facing a revolution to get rid of the monarchy and the royal family. In fact, England today would not have a royal family and they were heading the same way as these revolutions in France. And they were quite bloody. And the French Revolution particularly was, was actually bloody against Christians, you know. And um, so they were having a revolution to get rid of the royal family. There was anarchy going on, right? Anti-monarchy sentiments, right? And England was heading for the same way. It was a wicked country. They said there was open fornication going on in the streets. All kind of wickedness. But God sent a revival um, to England and used George Whitfield and John Wesley in a powerful way. Because you were filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's where the Methodist Church came from, through George Whitfield and John Wesley, because you were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, in one sense, God did change the history of the English nation. The Wright family would not be around today, which is in trouble, of course, but it wouldn't be around today. But for the revival that came in the time of John Wesley and George Whitfield, two men that were filled with the Holy Ghost, and God used them powerfully. Okay? Um, so I do believe Elena Raven is true. That man only has to be filled with the Holy Ghost for one hour and can, can change the history of a nation. Oh, how true that is. How true that is. And we're going to look at D.L. Midi in a minute here. Um, God certainly used him in a powerful way um, just like that. So let's move on to Acts chapter 6 here. You have to, I wish I could spend more time, but I can't, you know. And these are, I'm not even, by the way, I'm not even using notes here. 
I'm just going by my life experience, my, my study of the Bible. I have notes uh, marked on my Bible in yellow and brackets and, all, and underline because I've been studying this for 30 years nearly. I'm 30 years saved next, 30 years saved next month. And, uh, and uh, so I've been looking at this and I've been looking at this tube uh, from both sides. And uh, this is what I, I mean, I believe the book of Acts is a book of revival. And when revivals happen, let's look at the book of Acts. Let's compare what you'll see. It's just like the book of Acts all over again. Incredible thing. So in Acts chapter six, it's time to pick some deacons because the apostles are just flat out. They end up like serving tables and stuff like that. And they're not, the ministry is being neglected, right? I don't, it's not because they're lazy, but what they prioritized to preach and, and praying was what could not be stopped because that's what the church is there for. The church is not meant to be a social club. Club, which is becoming like, you know, in social evangelism. Uh, no, it's meant to be an aggressive soul winners, uh, preaching the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. And they knew that. So what did the apostles say? He said, they said, wherefore, brethren, talking about the people there, the church, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, right? A good testimony, honest report, testimony, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, which we which may appoint over this business. So um, yes, pick seven deacons, but they better be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what it says. Okay, and the apostle goes on and say, "But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the words." Okay, because the gospel must be preached, and some people have a great gifts in ministry and doing things behind the scenes. My wife is like that; she's a great organizer, she's a behind the scenes person. You know, I, and we all should help. But I don't believe that's where my gifts lie. I believe my gifts lie in what I'm doing now. I love to preach the word because I know that is the truth that changes lives forever. I've seen it in my own life and many others. Okay, so it's not as if they were lazy, and we surely shouldn't use excuses. Well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to preach and pray. And uh, no, these are the apostles. No, and if you're calling, yes, but don't be lazy. Um, they. They just said, look, the preaching and the praying can't stop. So give us help. Pick seven men that will help us do this. But men who are full of the Holy Ghost, though, mind you. Not just, you know, anybody. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Well, that's, I just, you know, that's Stephen's one of the men that picked. But it's important. A man full of faith, a belief, and of the Holy Ghost. I think that's amazing. And a result of this, and the word of God increased, verse 7, the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. It was a great decision, wasn't it? I believe that the Holy Spirit was involved in this idea. We need, um, seven de- we need deacons. Um, and it, it proved to be true. And because he chose those men full of the Holy Ghost, not just Stephen, the, the gospel spread. And one of those men, by the way, was Philip the Evangelist, who God greatly used in revival in Samaria. I mean, there's just great stories in the book of Acts. You know, it's, it's just a great study. In fact, and, and you, don't, you, don't, you don't even have to go deep. You just read it. It's a great, it's a great story. It's the history of the early church, which we have gone so far from today. But Stephen was a man full of the Holy Ghost, right? Well, Stephen then preaches in Acts chapter 7, and he gives a history of uh, the Bible, I suppose, and the history of God dealing with Israel to show that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, uh, you know, and that's, we don't have time to read that. It's a great sermon that he preaches, okay? So he comes to the end of his sermon, and Simon, or sorry, Stephen was not somebody to hold back. He certainly, Simon, or Stephen, sorry, was not into this watered-down gospel that we see today in so many churches. And here he says in verse 51, near the end of his sermon in Acts 7, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Ooh, hold on, Stephen. No. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Wow. So do ye. 
Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them, which show before of the coming of the just one, Tom of Jesus, of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers, the end of the crucified him, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. And his reaction. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Ooh. Wow. But he being full of the Holy Ghost. He, wasn't, he didn't say the stuff um, in the flesh. He's full of the Holy Ghost. Looked up steadfast in the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He was full of the Holy Ghost. He did not speak this in the flesh. We already know that he was full of the Holy Ghost because he wouldn't have been picked as a deacon, would he? The Bible tells he was full of the Holy Ghost when he said these things. And as a result of that, Stephen was the first martyr of the church. Some people have jokingly said Stephen was the first Christian to be rocked to sleep. There you go. That's a joke. I, sometimes no harm in a bit of levity, uh, even a serious subject like revival or whatever, right? Um, but he was stoned to death, wasn't he? Um, but he was a man full of the Holy Ghost. He didn't speak this in the flesh. And I say that's because I believe a lot of people do speak the gospel in the flesh. I remember a particular incident of a guy who claimed to be a Christian many, many years ago, in the early days of my Christian life, back in 92, 93, and he was preaching the gospel. He told me this. I wasn't there in Dublin City. And, uh, you know, some guy reacted badly, rejected what he was saying. And this guy then said to this lost man, I uh, said, um, I hope you go to hell. Well, imagine a Christian saying that. And the guy turned around and punched him in the face. And because I think a man, when I saw him, he had a black eye. And I said, what happened to you? And he told me what happened. And I said, you know, you deserve that. You know? Where do you see the example of the apostles or any, uh, in the Bible speaking like that? Tell somebody they deserve to go to hell as if you didn't, you know? That's not love. That's not the way. There's, that's not bold preaching. That's not being full of the Holy Ghost. Peter didn't have to do that. You don't insult people. If they reject it, they reject it. God will, um, will judge them. Speak as bold as you can. And yes, let them know they're rejecting the truth. But to say that, he deserved it. But Stephen was not like that when he said this. You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in the heart. He was full of the Holy Ghost. He was under the influence and power of the Holy Ghost. Well, a lot more could be said, couldn't it, right? But I just wanted it. It's a long introduction in one sense to the, this, 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 uh, this long excerpt, uh, story about D.L. Moody. But I just wanted to lay the foundation there because we want to, when we hear about these stories of revivals or men like D.L. Moody or anybody, let's compare it to scripture and still let's see does it add up, you know? And you'll see that, uh, yes, it does. D.L. Moody, by the time he died, led over, the Bible, uh, history says that he led over a quarter of a million souls to, to, to the Lord, including in Britain and in smaller part, even in Dublin, Ireland. So the context here is, just picking up this part of the story, he's already a preacher. Um, he was a pastor in a church in Chicago. There was a great ch uh, Chicago fire. The church was burnt down. They got another building, as it were, but it was just a small effort, um, temporary thing, you know. So he's in the streets of New York here, okay? And um, here's, what, here's where the story picks up. As Dwight, as Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody uh, means, uh, D.L. means Dwight Lynham, okay? But here he gives his full name. As Dwight Moody walked the streets of New York seeking funds for rebuilding the religious facilities of Chicago, he admitted, quote, My heart was not in the work of begging. I could not appeal. He didn't want to be begging for money for the church. He said, I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. D.L. Moody asked for to be filled with his spirit? I thought you, thought you had that uh, once, you're, once you had the Holy Spirit in your, in your life, you know. So you're reading your Bible, you're being a pastor. No, he felt there was something missing, okay. Moody was so burnt out that nothing else really mattered, it says, you know. You see, if you're doing things in the flesh, in your own strength, you will burn out. But you're doing things in the spirit, you won't burn out. 
He said that, quote, it did not seem as if there were any unction resting on my ministry, unquote. No power, he said. He had endured almost four months of intense spiritual agony. Quote, it says, God seemed to be just showing me myself. I found I was ambitious. I was not preaching for Christ. I was preaching for ambition. Wow, that's being humble, isn't it? I found everything in my heart that ought to not to be there. For four months, a rest went on in me. I was a miserable man. Unquote. Someone has called this Holy Ghost miserables. That's a good thing because the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to you. You just have to give in and stop being proud and arrogant and fighting. Okay? God will allow you to be miserable until you give in. I think he did that with Peter, by the way, until the day of Pentecost, you know. Um, he was a miserable man. But look, people looking at him probably would have known that, but he knew. He knew he didn't have that intimacy, that power of the Spirit in his life. But it goes on to say, but suddenly, quote, after four months, the anointing came. It came upon me as I was walking in the streets of New York. Unquote. The Holy Spirit came upon Moody in great force while he was walking down Wall Street. All of a sudden, nothing was important except to be alone with the Lord. He went as fast as he could to the, resi to the residence of a New York friend and asked for room to pray in. And it goes on to say, quote, Ah, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom, refer, I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to me, to name, he said. You know, people who have revival, they're not boasting. They're very humble people, actually, because they don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit in taking the glory. So he, 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 he looked at talk with his experience, but this is what happened to him. He said Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. Remember in Arabia, where he was caught up into heaven, you know, and God deterred heaven. He says, I can only say God revealed himself to me. Now, it was God revealed himself to me. Uh, Dale Moody didn't initiate this. It was God. And that's what happened in revival. I'm going to say God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand, to stop. Unquote. Okay? He had such an experience of his love. In, um, let me see here, Romans chapter 5. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That's what he was talking about there. You know? See, a lot of times we know human love. But the love of God... Pure love, unselfish love, without any spot or stain. That's what D.M. Moody experienced here. Not human love, not even Christian love, but the love of God as the Holy Spirit has poured upon his life. He explained this profoundly sacred experience to his friend D.W. Whittle, who noted in his diary, his friend said this, quote, God blessed him with the conscious incoming to his soul of a presence and power of his spirit such as he had never known before. Do you know such a thing? His heart was broken by it. He spent much time in just weeping before God. So overpowering was the sense of his goodness and love, unquote. A personal uh, Holy Ghost revival for D.L. Moody here. Moody Whittle went on to say, quote, lost interest in everything except the preaching of Christ and working for souls. Praise God. That's what we need. He determined to go to England that he might be free from all entanglements in the rebuilding of his church and the Farwell Hall. So he believed now God, he was fighting about, should I go to England? And he now realized, yes, I will go to England. And this started the, the Moody campaigns, okay? At least one of them, the early one. Um, so this is D.L. Moody's experience so far. I mean, absolutely amazing, isn't it, you know? And... Um, Goes on to say, while Moody tired in New York in late 1871, Mr. M.K. Jessup, a member of the city's religious power elite, approached him to reconsider relocating to their city. Perhaps God was closing Moody's work in Chicago and basically go to New York, right? This man's asking, will you go to New York instead? Given the fact that he had lost every facility he had labored so hard to build in Chicago. 
Jessup wrote to Farwell to inform him that, quote, Moody and I had a quite, quite a talk of getting hold of the masses in this city, New York City, and my mind has rather been led to the fact that Moody is the man to come here and enter upon this work. We must do something in a large way for the masses in this city, unquote. He told Farwell that they all needed to pray for guidance. New York did not want to take Moody from Chicago unless it is the Lord's will. Well, that's a good attitude. But should Moody decide to move, Jessa promised, quote, I should be willing to take the expense on my shoulders of caring for Moody's needs. In the same way, Farwell care for him in Chicago. So this man wants, this guy wants, um, this man, um, Mr. Jessup, he wants Moody to come and do work in New York City. He said, I'm willing to pay for him if that is God's will, to be fair to him, you know. But was it God's will? A larger city, a greater challenge, a new harvest field to reap. Here was the bait that, that, that D.L. Moody would have found difficult to refuse. But Moody's recent experience with the Holy Spirit set him free, free from the mania that sees every great need as a call. How true that is. Um, so he refused that offer. I want to skip some details just for time's sake here, okay? Um, and he's going to decide to go to... He's going to decide to go to uh, to Britain eventually here, but he doesn't feel that God wants him to do work in New York City, right? He says, goes on to say, one night in Brooklyn, New York, Moody introduced a congregation of Central Presbyterian Church to G. Campbell Morgan. This is a great man of God. You should literally the story about G. Campbell Morgan, a man who knew about the spirit-filled life and would teach it. Some of these great men lived together. Anyway, he, he, G., G. Campbell Morgan introduced him to church, a speaker from Great Britain. Moody fascinated listeners with the story of how Morgan was filled with the Holy Spirit after he struggled five hours in prayer over God's call to ministry. Moody then said that, quote, at the end of those five blessed hours, he was filled with the Spirit and decided to be a messenger of the Lord, unquote. So Moody described his church, you know, G. G. Campbell Morgan here, he had the experience of, being, uh, of a revival, uh, blessing, and he was, knew, knew what it was like to be filled with the Holy Spirit in his life. Um... Moody, who increasingly stressed the need for a filling with the Holy Ghost for anyone who hoped to lead a truly productive life for Christ, celebrated a special blessing given to Morgan. He went on to say that, quote, in all like manner, the disciples were all dead failures until they began filled with the Spirit of God. He's absolutely right. Just read the story of the disciples. They were definitely failures. They were fearful, fighters, selfish, all that kind of stuff. Um, they were dead failures until they became filled with the Holy Spirit. They all bungled until Pentecost, he said. Rest assured, no man is fit for God's savers until he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. That is powerful stuff, isn't it? Um, let me see here. Do I, I don't want to uh, scan for time's sake here. Yeah, I think I'll go on. This podcast will go on a few minutes longer than I normally do. And I'd like to do around 40 minutes, but I just feel I don't, you don't want to miss this. Moody could be given to overstatements. People indeed could infer that he personally had been unfit for God's servers until his penetrating uh, experience with the Holy Spirit in New York in autumn of 1871. This, of course, was untrue. Moody had been used mightily by God for several years. Nevertheless, the quality of his relationship with God and his discernment of the difference between God's call and man's was so sharpened and his power in ministry so enlarged that it sometimes seemed to him as if he had scarcely been alive, let alone useful, until that blessed time. Many people, when they have this personal revival experience with God, with the Holy Ghost, they will actually sometimes feel as if they, they felt, I, wasn't, I, I felt like I wasn't saved until then. No, they were. But God came upon them so powerfully, so real, and set them free from all fears and failures and besetting sin and whatever else. They felt they, were, they only got saved then when they had that personal revival experience. But they were saved, but now they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they knew it. 
After Moody's personal Pentecost, as it was called, he displayed more openness to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Consequently, he was set free to pursue a path that initially appeared as absurd as his move from business to a full-time ministry had looked a decade earlier. In early 1872, he felt a pull to Britain that was too strong to ignore. His main, he maintained that he had only one purpose. He wanted to sit at the feet of some of the brilliant English Bible teachers whom he had met in 1867 in order to gain a deeper knowledge of the sacred scriptures. Folks, especially men, sit at the feet of godly men. Men who believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't listen to the skeptics um, and, and people are full of unbelief. That's what D.L. Moody did. Ambition to go abroad and become one of those men um, who boasted of ministry in foreign country apparently played no role in Moody's desire to go to England. Ambition of this sort actually wearied him. In 1867, he'd been asked to come back and do an extended preaching tour, but he declined. Instead, for this trip, he wanted to study, listen, and spend time seeking the Lord's guidance about the future. So he went to England, basically, on a spiritual kind of, um, how would you say, holiday um, to learn from these great men not to preach. Just remember that. It was rather a long way to go for a Bible study and a retreat all the way to England, but Moody could get no rest from this desire. It seems that the Holy Spirit is leading him go to Britain and learn from these men. But I think God has another purpose for him too. Therefore, in June of 1872, he set sail for England. This time he travelled alone. For a brief trip, Emma, his wife, and the children could stay behind. In any case, there was no money for the entire family to travel, even for a short time. When Moody got to England... He slipped into meetings, took notes and began some serious study. One night after a London prayer meeting at the Old Bailey, a North London pastor, the Reverend Mr. John Lessey, spotted Moody and implored him to preach for him next Sunday. You know, Moody didn't go to England to preach, but this pastor wants him to preach in his church. Moody at first, reluctant, finally agreed. He preached a morning service and people seemed indifferent to his words. Nothing happened in the morning service, no response from the people. Then again, most churches today, that's normal. They don't expect any response. No people crying out to be saved or, or, or crying out for God to revive them or repent from sin. You don't hear that anymore. But in those days, um, you know, they knew something was wrong when there's no response. So there's no response in this morning service that he preached. But the evening service was quite different story. He told his son William, D.L. Moody's son William, sometime years later, that when he preached to the same congregation on the Sunday evening in the same new, new car congregation church, he said, quote, at half past six in the evening, it seemed while he was preaching as if the very atmosphere was charged with the Spirit of God. There came a hush upon all the people and a quick response it, to his words, though he had not been much in prayer that day and could not understand it. So he seemed this incredible response from, the, from the, uh, the, the congregation in the evening service, but he saw from the same people nothing in the morning service. And he couldn't understand this. He hadn't even praying much about this, this preaching. Remember, he was asked in short notice. After sermon... Moody asked for people who desired to become Christians to please stand. All over the church, people were standing. Assuming his call was misunderstood, he followed this with, quote, all of you who want to be a Christian, just step into the choir room. So many people crowded into the room that extra chairs had to be pulled in. So remember, go back to that. It says all over the church, people were standing when he asked people who want to, be st um, to, um, who want to become Christians. Nearly the whole church stood up, um, which is amazing. So many people crowded in the choir room that extra chairs had to be pulled in. Moody and Pastor Leslie were amazed. Neither one of them had expected such a response. So again, in the inquiry room, Moody asked those who want to become Christians to stand. And then it says, quote, the whole audience got up, unquote. Moody, still doubtful about the seriousness of these people, prayed for them and asked those, quote, who were really in earnest to meet the pastor there the next night. Moody, he, he doesn't think, he said, something has to be wrong here. They're all wanting to be saved here. 
Uh, but I don't understand it, you know, because it's the same people that weren't interested in the morning service. So I think, I, he, so he's saying, he's saying, think about it, come back the next night, you know, and then we'll see the real once you're interested. The following day, Moody sailed across the Irish Sea, expecting to visit um, some Irish Bible teachers, among them most, um, most certainly uh, brothers F.C. Bland. But Moody had no sooner reached Dublin, Dublin, Ireland, than John Leslie sent an urgent dispatch imploring Moody to return because more inquirers came on Monday night than had been present on Sunday. Remember he told people to come back on Monday night to the pastor? Well, more, not only did they all come back, but more came back. Unbelievable. Moody took the next ferry back to England. When he made it to North London, he preached and ministered for 10 days. 400 people made professions of faith and joined Leslie Church during this local revival. 400 people getting saved in one church. But again, Moody can't understand, what, how, how could this be? Now, this is the best part. What's the story behind? Why, why did Moody have no response in the morning service, but then nearly everybody wants to get saved in the evening service? This outpour of the Holy Spirit astounded Moody. Sensing that prayer must be somewhere underneath the community's response to his preaching, he said, quote, I want to know what this meant. I began making inquiries and never rested until I found a bedridden girl praying that God would bring me to that church. He had heard her and brought me over 4,000 miles of land and sea in answer to requests. So did you hear that? There was a girl, a young woman, who was praying in her bed that, to, to bring D.L. Moody to this church. He found that out later. That's one of the things he found out. Moody's, most, uh, sorry, Moody's remarkable discovery centres on an incident that defies all probability for coincidence and can be best attributed to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So he found out about this girl, but how come she ended up, how come all this happened, that she was praying like this and he came over to England and he ended up preaching? He wants to get more details here. In 1872, there was a bedridden young woman, this is the same one, named Marianne Adlard, who was, quote, twisted and distorted by suffering, unquote. Despite her painfully infirm condition, she spent many hours daily in prayer. In bed, by the way, she was bedridden, sick, but she spent many hours in prayer. An intercessor for her new core congregation church, she had been asking God for to send revival to this congregation, uh, quote, of which she was a member and yet into which even then she never came, unquote. She never was able to visit her own church because she was too sick, but she had prayed for revival to come to her church for many, uh, who knows how long. But she was an intercessor. On one occasion, while reading an issue of R.C. Morgan's peri- peri- periodical called Revival, later titled The Christian, she read a story of a man named Dale Moody in this article who was doing a significant work among Chicago's poorest children. She saved the article, kept it under her pillow, and began to pray. She and she began to pray, quote, "O Lord, send this man to our church." Unquote. Wow! Doesn't know him. Just heard, read about him this article about in Chicago. She's in England. Lord, send this man to our church. She prayed in her bed. G. Campbell Morgan, who years later became part of Leslie's church, knew Marianne and Adler well. Once on a pastoral visit, he elicited her. He elicited or asked her side of this remarkable story. Tell me about this story about praying for D.L. Moody. He goes on to say, When in 1901, G. Campbell Morgan says, When in 1901, I was leaving England for America, I went to see her. She said to me, G. Campbell Morgan, this girl who was praying for Moody, just what she said, quote, I want you to, to reach that Bertie book, she said, unquote. Morgan says, I did so. And turning to February the 5th, I saw in the handwriting I knew so well, D.L. Moody and from this particular Sam. Then Marianne Adler said to me, um, 
she said about Moody, he wrote that for me when he came to see me in 1872 and I pray for him every day till he went home to God, till he went home to God, unquote. Imagine that. She prayed for D.L. Moody every day till, the, till, till he went home to die. Now, that started, this revival took place in 1872 and D.L. Moody died in 1899. So that's what, 27 years of praying for him. No wonder she was powerfully, D.L. Moody was powerfully used. Continuing, she said, this woman, now, will you write your name, she said to G. Campbell Morgan, on your Bertie page and let me pray for you until either you or I go home, unquote. He says, I shall never forget writing my name in that book. To me, the room was full of the presence of God. I often, I have often thought of that hour in the rush of my busy life, in the place of toil and strain. And even yet, by God's grace, I know that Marianne Adlard is praying for me. And it's for this reason that to her, in sincere love and admiration, I have dedicated my book called The Practice of Prayer. These are the labours of force. He said, these are the laborers, the workers of force in the fields of God. It is the heroes and heroines, which means the female heroes, who are out of sight and who labor in prayer, who make it possible for those who are in sight to do the work and win. The force of it to such the force of it to such as are called upon to exercise the ministry can never be measured. Finishing off here. Moody, like G. Campbell Morgan, never doubted the efficacy of Marianne uh, Adler's prayers. Until his death, he believed his 1872 visit to Britain was prompted by the Holy Spirit to a faithful young woman's prayers. Wow. What a story. I wish I could talk more, but I can't. You know, I learned the other day from a dear sister, talking to her yesterday, um, she knew that I was discouraged about doing the podcast. The numbers were going down low. But by the way, they've shot up dramatically since the interview. And all over the world, thank God for that. But I, if I, but she knew I was discouraged. I said, I may not do the podcast anymore if God doesn't want me to do it. But it looks like he does still. Um, and she, she started praying for me. You know what? That's what we need. Uh, intercessors. I have a sermon podcast there called Why Do No Intercessors or even... God in a state of shock before that that talks about that, you know. I, I, I urge you to, 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 to listen to that. This woman was an intercessor for D.L. Moody and that's what made the difference in D.L. Moody is preaching. A man of God who God uses, somebody is praying and usually it's a godly woman. The godly women have been powerfully used in church history and revivals. Make no mistake about it. But the point is, D.L. Moody was a spiritual man. I can't help wondering, should I have been a D.L. Moody in my life? Have I missed out because of my disobedience to God? Is there, are you missing out on being D.L. Moody in, in your country or in Ireland? But is it possible for God to raise up a D.L. Moody? Because there's praying women, praying men, asking God to raise up men of God in these last days in the church before the Lord comes back. I do believe that's the heart of God. And this is what can happen. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just like in the book of Acts. This is my desire. What's your desire? Are you thinking, while well, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, everything's fine. You have no ambition. You have no holy dissatisfaction. Um, instead, you have an unholy satisfaction. Everything is fine. Don't you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be used by God like this? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, people will know. And it's going to have an effect. Remember Peter, the day of Pentecost, said, we're not drunk with wine. Because they were obviously influenced and, ch- and their behavior was changed by the Holy Spirit. Because they became filled with the Holy Spirit, men of God, with power from on high. Because without God, as he said, we can do nothing. So that's where I want to leave it. Sorry I went over time. It's probably the longest podcast I've done. I hope this was a blessing to you and a challenge. May God raise up intercessors in these last days. And then as a result, may God raise up an Irish... D.L. Moody, a German, D.L. Moody, a Canadian, D.L. Moody, 
Estonian Dion Moody, um, Brazilian Dion Moody, um, some of these countries, I'm sorry if I can't name them all, and I thank you for some of your comments who are encouraging um, through my friend uh, Drew. Keep listening to these podcasts, share them with others. We need a Holy Ghost revival. I need one. Won't you join me? God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon again. Amen.